Okay, now you got it. So when I lived at, when I lived in Nigeria and we talk about, you know, contrasting then until now with me personally, you know, there are so many things that, you know, I see that as a society we take for granted. Um, a, a very simple example of that is running water and electricity. We, we expect the, the lights to come on when we enter the house and we flip the switch. That didn't always happen. Electricity could be out for three days, it could be out for a month and a half. You just don't know. Um, water could be off for a week, it could be off for a month. And that brings you to you know, a great question. Well, how do you <laughs> how do you stay hygienic at that point? Well, you, we don't use the, the running tap water even if there was water running at that point because water had the potential to have cholera and we were all immunized against that. Um, even if it was running to, to drink a glass of water, we'd have to pour the water through this two-step um, stainless steel filtration. And I, I can picture it in my in my mind that we'd boil it, put it through there, and then you take it out. The water's hot, so you have to put it in the fridge. And we have these bottles that we put in the fridge. That's how you get a glass of water. So to get a glass of milk, you'd have to go through the same thing and then mix it with this powdered milk called Nido. Uh, an idea, I think that's still a brand out there, but we would always have that on hand. So when you talk about getting a glass of milk or turning the lights on, there's there's always a question like, oh, is it gonna happen? What process do I have to take? Uh, one of the first times I had cheese, it, the cheese itself traveled from, I think it was it was either 200 or 250 kilometers away, because we, we measured kilometers. And, in that, in that instance. Um, but that was one of the first times I had cheese. Well, fast forward, ironically, I married cheese maker's <laughs> <Yeah>. daughter. <Yeah. laughs> but but yep. beside the point, there's, if you want cheese, you can just go to the grocery store and get whatever brand you want, right? Um, so and you can get it shredded those... and you can get it cubed and you can get it stringed and you can get it melted in, in all those forms. Yeah. And so when, when we moved to the States, I was, if I could show you a picture, I was, I was skin and bones. And w literally within a month, I put on a lot of weight because I'm like, oh my gosh, there's there's pizza, there's this, there's that, the other thing. And I mean, even just to even just to have a meal, we, we, we would go to the abattoir where they slaughtered the cows and pigs mm -hmm. and they're out on stands in the open air, flies flying all around them. It just it does not have a great look as you picture it as I'm saying it, but that's what we would do to get meat, bring it back, put it in the grinder, and I, I would grind the meat just so we could have a hamburger. Uh, so it's, it's, it's small little things that I still, um, you know, get amazed at. It's like, you know, we, we, we've got so many things to be thankful for. And when you look at third world countries or even just other countries in general, to have the luxuries that we have I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm always thankful on a daily basis. So. Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with my good friend, Ranjan Mizra. He, uh, we, we talked about a lot, his journey throughout life and his journey in the eye care world and in the corporate world. We dug a little bit into some of that history. I think you're really gonna enjoy the conversation. I enjoyed the conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us.
My patients with macular degeneration want clear and succinct recommendations from me related to products and solutions that can benefit their long-term ocular health and vision. To do this for my patients, I need to be confident that what I'm recommending will have a benefit to them. And that's why my supplement of choice is MacuHealth. MacuHealth is specifically formulated and clinically proven to rebuild and maximize macular pigment over a lifetime. This results in enhanced visual performance and aids in the treatment and prevention of age-related macular degeneration. I've discussed carotenoid absorption on this podcast with Dr. Nolans and Stringham, and MacuHealth uses a patented process called micromycel technology. And this technology is clinically proven to increase carotenoid concentrations at the target tissue and deliver the highest level of bioavailability studied to date. MacuHealth has been great for my patients. We really feel like we have the ability to help those patients in all categories of macular degeneration. If you're not utilizing MacuHealth for your patients, Check it out for yourself by contacting your MacuHealth representative. Young and emerging presbyopes can be tricky. These patients want and need additional help at near, but they can be resistant to solutions that create even mild distance blur. The MyDay multifocal lens has been great for our presbyopic patients. It allows those patients to transition into a multifocal more easily. We've had this lens now for long enough that we've been able to see how simple transitions can be from an adaptation standpoint from lower ad designs to higher ad designs. The MyDay multifocal material is CooperVision's softest one-day hydrogel lens and features aquaform technology combining the unique balance of high oxygen permeability with natural wettability in one material. The result is a highly breathable lens that keeps our patient's eyes looking clear, white, and healthy. So if you haven't started utilizing MyDay Multifocal in your practice, I'd encourage you to reach out to your CooperVision representative to get started. You know, the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast, there's a couple things that I think the listeners um, should hear about what was my impetus on on having Ron John Mizra on the podcast. There's a, there's a long list. I mean, the first thing, Ron John, is you were a believer in what we're doing with this podcast before almost anybody else was. You you saw, uh, you liked what we were doing and you said, hey, I, I want to support that uh, with Cooper Vision. I want to support that. So thank you so much. As we enter into our sixth year of the podcast, you, were, you recognized um, what we were doing early on and I really appreciate that, that partnership. The, the other thing is that you're kind of a humble guy. And you and I, over the years, have gotten the ability to share stories, and I've gotten the ability to understand who you are. And you never make things about you. You know, you're, you'll poke fun at yourself uh, on stage. You'll you'll have fun uh, with other people, but the goal is is never about what Ron John gets out of it. And I I I am sure people see that when they get to know you. But I think that's a really amazing. Uh, thing that a lot of people don't have. And then the other thing is that you have this awesome story, you know, your, your family story, and then this sort of like pulling yourself up from the bootstrap story uh, in, in eye care and in the industry where you kind of, I mean, I, I think I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but where you started out as kind of a, a sales rep, you know, and sales reps are really important, but mm-hmm. you've, uh, found opportunities to continue to grow and serve a a big company. 
And those are things that I, I don't really fully understand, but I recognize that, that that's something that you've done. And I don't understand how to operate in a big company like that. And I think a lot of the listeners don't really think about that either because their day-to-day work is, you know, they've got their business. They've got, it's a, it's a finite small business with where everybody can see the moving parts that are going on when you're, when you're at the helm of that business. But when you're in a really large company, it's just a different, it's just a different thing. And so I'd like to take a little bit of a peek behind that curtain of that process of how, how, why Ron John is the way he is and then how you kind of came to, to do the stuff that you do right now. So Ron John, I, there's a, a big, long overview, but let's start by, by kind of giving a sense for the listeners of where you grew up, what your background is just as a kid and, and um, yeah, start there. Okay. Uh, wow. Well, I'll try to make that brief because it, it, it could be a long story. Um, so I was actually, I was born in Canada on the, on the East Coast of New Brunswick. And uh, that was while my dad was getting his doctorate in physics. Uh, his dad and all his siblings, most of his siblings are, are all physicists. So they're a pretty brilliant side on that side of the family. Um, and when I was two, his he had gotten his doctorate and we we ended up moving to Nigeria in West Africa. And the reason for that was, is that was his first, first real job. And the, the job at hand was to not only teach physics in these universities, but also open up the physics department and have that cur- curriculum. So he did that in, in two different cities in Nigeria. So I lived there from uh, two years old till um, I lived for 11 years there. So in, when I was 13, we moved to the States at that point. Um, there's, uh, there's a whole lot that, uh, we can talk about during those 11 years about, well, I've got um, some questions right away, Ron John. I think sure. so culturally now, uh, I, I think I, I fully understand this, but I'm sure I'm missing some parts culturally, you would be considered Indian, correct? Like your, 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 uh, genetic history would be Indian. Is that right? Um, so Fifty percent. So my my okay. dad is from India, and my mom is a mix of a number of a, a number of races, uh, African American. I think there's some uh, European in there as well as some Native American. So it's some kind of the uh, United Nations, so to, so to speak. Did, well, I think the the interesting part to me is, and I don't, you know, I'm not setting this up because I don't really recall this too much in our previous conversations, but it's it is interesting. Did that, did culturally moving to Nigeria, did, did, um, did your ethnicity or your background um, and how you might look different than other people, did that impact any of the, of the growing up at all? Well, it's, it's, it's what I knew. Um, I mean, again, there's this, the saying, you don't know what you don't know, or you, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I, I grew up with native Nigerians going to the same school as I did. I ended up going to an American missionary school. So there, there was a very strong United States or American influence. I went to school with Lebanese people, um, Australian, German, Swiss. Uh, so I just, from an early age, it was just, uh, an easy adaptation to to any type of person. And I, I actually believe, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually do believe that that, um, that, that variety of, of type of people um, and in origin has kind of shaped me into what I started off being early and who I am today. Um, anything from 
mannerisms that we're not used to. Those are things that I just tend to pick up on that are not always what you see you know, when you walk down the street in, uh, in the States. And so how do you think, um, well, how do you think that that, that, that cultural diversity uh, has helped in, in the way you see things in the way that you've progressed throughout your life? That is a really great question also. And yeah, you know, I, I would say it, you know, I, I don't rush to any, any judgments in terms of decision-making. I see who's, who's bringing me the issue or bringing me um, an equation to solve. And, you know, I take, I take the person also in addition to the equation I'm trying to solve. And I kind of try to think along their lines and not only in the response, but the way it's delivered. So again, you know, dealing with people in different, you know, backgrounds has, has been, I, I really believe a great part of uh, who I am today and, and frankly, who I've been for a very long time. And I, I'm, I'm more a people person than I am, you know, data driven. And it's, it's because of all that. I just have so much interest in people and, um, you know, there's there's a lot to talk about behind that too because you know in terms of uh, my professional career uh, you know a guy I used to work with a long time ago he, he saw me progress I was, I was in telecommunications at the time he, he saw me progress through, through the ranks in this in this world where at least in the company that I was in uh, the lifespan of of an average sales rep was about six months. So there was a pretty high turnover. And I lasted four and a half years there before I, I mean, I voluntarily left to do you know, some other things that I wanted to, to grow in professionally. But the thing he told me is like, he goes, Ron John, I've been watching you for the last couple of years and always keep doing what you're doing. I'm like, well, what, what, what is that, Tony? He goes, always treat everyone the way that you treated your first customer. And what he meant by that is, the, the customer I was dealing with at that point was more of a mom and pop shop, like a selling long distance to a, a, a garage versus going to a large corporation and much and having much more complex um, applications. So to talk to that same garage as, as if you would talk and deal with that, that same large corporation. And I'm like, Tony, I think that's actually what I have been doing, but it's good to hear that. And th those words have stuck with me ever since, uh, boy, that was, man, probably about 1998 or so. And um, it, it is what I follow today. I mean, there's a, I have a wonderful job with a great company, and I still go back to those basic principles. And that hasn't, hasn't treated me wrong so far. I, I think that's right. I think the, um, you, it's a, it's a talent and a skill to continue to think like that as you grow and as you get better. And I find myself uh, kind of thinking about that, not consciously, but maybe not in the same way that you're thinking about it now, but you know, I'll respond to emails. Uh, I'm very, I'm very busy. Like if I look back, you know, five years, 10 years, uh, I'm a lot busier now than I was five or 10 years ago. And oftentimes I can be responding. I, I can find myself responding to emails really quickly. If email's less formal, it's become super informal. Um, but if, if it's like, well, one of the reasons that, that we've grown, iCode has grown, iCode Media and iCode Education has grown is because we're thorough and we're accurate with, with our responses. And sometimes I want to respond really quickly to just move it off my plate. 
And I always have to stop and remember, not always, but I still, in some cases have to stop and remember like, no, this is, even though we've, we've done a lot of things and we've, we've had a lot of um, interactions, every single interaction is important. And I think about that like in iCode, but I think about that in my patients when I start getting, you know, like it's the end of the day, we've had a long day and now this patient's coming in and it's like, I got to focus when I feel like, okay, this is easy. I'm just going to brush pat. Like, I'm just going to do, I, I know everything's good. I'm looking at over everything. I'm not missing anything, but like, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to rearticulate the point of, of why that person is in there. Cause to them, this is the only interaction I have with anybody all day long. And so I think that's really helpful that you're continuing, even at your level, you're consciously thinking about that uh, on a regular basis. It's really important. And I think it comes out. I mean, I, I can share some stuff about you that I think you may, may not realize, but one of the things that's really refreshing and I think it comes from what you just brought up is you and I have had com conversations where I can tell, and it has nothing to do with your insecurity. Like, I'm not saying you're insecure. I'm just saying it has nothing to do with insecurity. It has everything to do with your analyzing, did I handle this situation the right way? Did I did it, the impression that I gave in my talk or in my presentation to people, did it land the way I wanted it to land? And it ha it's not about like an insecurity thing. It's just a constant questioning of, can I do this better? Can I do this better? There's very few people that get to that level and still wonder about that and how they can do it. And I think that's, that's a testament to you for sure. Yeah. I mean, every, every presentation I do, and I, I mean, literally every presentation and frankly, after we get off our call today, I'm gonna, <laughs> I know I'm, we're going to be talking about it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to look back and say, <laughs> is there anything I could have done better? Is there anything that I could have you know taken it to the next level with answering a question this way or that way or, or communicating clearer. Um, and I think that's just, you know, it's, it's just me. Uh, you know, sometimes it does, it might come up, come across as an insecurity, but it's, it's really all in a, in a quest to just always be better. Um, and not saying that I'm the best at anything, but if, if you keep working towards it, um, my mom actually had this say, and I'll just share it with you and, and everyone else who's listening. And uh, she told me this from, I, I can't remember, it had to be, man, early on as a kid, probably under 10 years old, but it always stuck and she kept saying it. It was always reach for the stars. And if you end up short, you'll always be in a great place. So it was always a saying of accepting failure, but accepting failure with a greater, a greater purpose, knowing that you were reaching you know maybe higher than someone else maybe not but at least you gave it everything you do to try to reach you know to reach the stars or reach the goal that you were that you were after so uh those those simple words in and of itself always echo through my mind and you know they're always you know still kind of inspirational to me but what do you think it is about about like a person when when you think about like the growth of like sometimes it's it's hard and you and i uh I mean, you know, obviously, like I work a lot with vision source offices. My practice is vision source. You work a lot with vision source practices. And by and large, they're very, they're typically pretty positive. But, you know, we can, we can still get in the, in the, in the negative, you know, in the grind of complaining about this and that. And, and I find myself doing it as well. You know, I find myself like looking at my practice sometimes and be like, wow, this is a grind or, you know, it's this, everything is going to go to, you know, hell in a handbasket, you know, and, and then you, and then if you expand that into social media, you can see that there. So 
but when you look at the the opportunities, like when you actually take a step back from getting into those little ruts and you look at the opportunities for growth in, in the profession, um, it's like, well, well, it's, it's only limited by, by what we can do within the confines of our own practice. And so I wonder, first of all, do you ever, do you ever get to that point? Cause I've never seen you. Uh, and two, if you do, um, how do you know how to just continue? Like, do you take a step back and look at the big picture and realize again, like what's your process if you get into that place or how do you avoid getting into that place of negativity? Well, um, you know, I don't really think of myself as a negative person. However, you know, I think it's just human nature to, to feel yourself, you know, in a, in a, a rut, if you will, like, Hey, am I doing the same thing? Is it the same daily grind? Um, you know, in the job that I'm in, I'm, I'm luckily and blessed, fortunate enough for every day not to be the same. In fact, every day is, is substantially different from the day before or the one before that. So that keeps my outlook fresh every day. Um, and, you know, when you continue to try to be better, whether that's successful or not, but you know, as long as you, you keep trying to be better, it, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't get mundane or um, feel like you're in a rut. So for me, it's just self-challenging. Um, you know, my, my boss is probably going to listen to this at some point, but my goals for myself are, have traditionally are, and uh, always have been always greater than what the company's expected, uh, whether it's, you know, objective goals or even subjective. I put more pressure on myself than anything. So that's probably a great, um, you know, I guess, area of development of mine. Maybe I put too much pressure, but, but I, I, I enjoy well, I think the that's results. The point. Yeah. I think that's the point of, of, of the whole discussion is that like when you, when I look at people who are like really successful in their, in their uh, business, right. Whether it's eye care or uh, consulting or lawyers uh, there's this, like you're what we see publicly is only the the trajectory of success, you know, as things scale up. But when you actually like peel back the curtain and really talk to somebody, you realize that that there are days they they probably wake up and they're like, "Am I really doing any good?" You know, or or like, "This is this is not this is not this is going to fail." You know, like they right. they have those those thoughts, but they're fleeting, and they don't dwell on those thoughts. They realize, like you said, it's like. Well, I'm going to do something better today. I'm going to create something new. I'm going to work harder, maybe than other people will work, or than I've worked before. Or I'm going to, or I'm going to be creative about an idea that I have on how to present something a different way. And even if that thing isn't "quote unquote" successful by any metric that you want to throw at it, like financially successful, or um, or there's a lot of people that love the idea or people respond and say, Whoa, that was amazing. Ron, John, you now have this, this new idea. Well, who was it? Uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, you know, a, a, a mind that is stretched to a new idea will never return to its original dimension. And that slight change in the way that we think winds up in some form or fashion in the future that maybe wasn't successful right now by any of those measures, will will create something that becomes something greater 
right? It's new, it's different. And so I think, I think the point about that and what's interesting to me and the topic that we're hitting on right now is that it's very easy for us to be negative because if, if we just look at where we are right now and dwell on that one thing, and then we look at how everybody else is doing, you know, I, I like LinkedIn. I think it's really interesting, but you look on LinkedIn, everybody's doing amazing things, you know, and they're never unhappy and they're never, uh, they're never like, um, dissuaded by what's going on. And I, I know that's not true. I know all of those people have challenges and they've, and, and what makes them separate from those of us who may not be able to do those amazing things is they continue to just put one step forward, one step forward, one step forward. And that kind of brings me to kind of your, your professional story, right? So I, I, that's what I'm reading from what I get, I pick up from you is hard work in innovation, new ideas and not being afraid of them and not measuring your success of where you are right now uh, or, or one specific outcome all the time. So professionally, then you take that background, that diverse background that you have, sort of this work ethic, these ideas of, of working harder that your mom kind of instilled in you, and I'm sure your father did as well. Talk about, um, and you mentioned you mentioned another type of company that you worked for. Talk about your your entry into eye care, into the eye care space. What 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 was the position that you took, and what was interesting about it to you? Well, um, so eye care is, I, I'm a I'm a high myo, so we'll we'll, we'll start there with, with cylinder. And I didn't get my first pair of glasses till, if I remember, I was right around ten years old, and I think they were like a minus four fifty OU or something like that, and. Uh, I mean, I, I got glasses because I couldn't see the blackboard anymore. And it was back then it was a true blackboard where, you know, you're chalk. Hmm, I remember those to yeah. bang out the bang out the the uh, erasers, the erasers. Exactly. So, um, you know, it, it, it sounds silly, but my first memory of anything I care was for myself. And I remember clear, no pun intended, but clear as day. I remember where I was standing and I, I looked down after I put these glasses on and, and they're big and thick. These are real, it wasn't poly, polycarbonate or anything fancy. These are glass glasses. I looked down, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can see my feet. I mean, mm-hmm. that was, it sounds silly, but that was something of significance to me. Like I can look down and see my shoes and I, I hadn't done that before. I just hadn't been able to do that. So who knows how long that, uh, you know, the, the progression was there, but it, it was really interesting. I'm like, wow, this is, this is great. So I would. Had uh, you only had my sight, Ron John. <laughs> at, at that point, <laughs> you know, that's, that's actually, yeah. Um, and then when it came time to get contact lenses, that was actually a very emotional time for me. And I actually started with huh. RGPs before I went into uh, a soft contact lens. Why, why was that so emotional? Talk, tell me about that. What was emotional um, about it? I it think we more, get the reason I'm asking is I think because because doctors we get it's so it's it becomes so routine for us you know so go yeah ahead, please. Uh, that's that's a that's a really good point because I guess from your perspective you're you're fitting a contact lens you're taking someone out of glasses next patient please right mm-hmm. um, for for me at that point it was it was a lifestyle I, I got contacts when I believe I was right around 15 years old so there's more of a social type of thing with it. You know, I, I was, I was coming to school wearing these thick Coke bottle glasses and they're strapped around my head because I mean, at this point, my, my script has changed and the glass glasses were pretty thick and it just wasn't frankly, you know, terribly cute. And at that point, you know, <laughs> in high school, other, other things catch your attention. So, uh, 
getting getting contact lenses was really a big deal. Like, oh my gosh, I don't have this thing strapped to my head anymore. Um, I do have to take it out and clean it, et cetera. But wow, I can walk around all day like this and actually see. That was a big deal. And uh, and those were RGPs. So I, I wore RGPs till, man, probably till I was, I was right about 30 years old. And uh, the next emotional step there was going out of an RGP into a soft contact lens. And um, I'll just, I'll, I'll share this with, with the world on this call, but that was, that was such an emotional thing for me to go into a soft contact lens where I, I, I couldn't feel this thing in my eye compared to an RGP. Um, I was in the chair and I actually started tearing up. I'm like, mm. I, I can't believe that I can see and I can't mm. feel this thing. I mean, and contact lens you know, technology has developed since then as well. But uh, to me, that was a, a, a very important part of getting into eye care. Um, so a little bit of a longer story there, but 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 there's the, the passion behind uh, what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. I, I really hope that we do help people see better um, and, you know, maybe avoid, you know, unwanted things in the future. So um, going into eye care, you know, prior to that, I was in telecommunications. I was in, in pharmaceuticals as well. And, you know, the, the, the same concepts for for how I act, how I behave have have never changed because with, with each position, I've always seemed to progress. Uh, for example, in pharma, I was, I was, I was a sales rep. I moved to uh, a specialty sales role. I moved to being, being a, a training manager. I moved into being a, a district manager where I, where I manage people. Uh, so uh, along that path, even within the confines of one company, there is always growth and always room for improvement. Um, and, you know, I, I moved into eye care. There was, there were challenges within the, the pharmaceutical space, frankly. Um, what, what, and, explain, what, what did you, what was at the time? So at the time, what, what year was that? And what were the challenges that you encountered? Uh, that was around 2010. And that was really about the time where, uh, pharmaceutical companies were just all of them, virtually all of them were imploding on themselves. It was uh, wow. right around the time of an election year, and there was a great, great push towards generics, and we we sold it branded. Uh, so in the geography that I was in, we, there there just wasn't a need for for this great a staff. Um, you you know, didn't for a doctor sell. To be able to pre prescribe, they they had to do uh, you know multiple stages of prior auths and whatnot. So finally, to get to my brand was quite a challenge. The company saw that and. Um, so I, I moved into eye care, and it was uh, the the huge refreshing thing about this industry. And I mean, because you're in it, you may not see the beauty of it, but you know, versus pharma, we, we just we have to deal with so little managed care coming from the contact lens space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean that that prior auth stuff has not gotten easier. It, it continues to, to snowball. And I, I, I need to ask this. Um, we can always cut it out if it's a sensitive topic, but you, you didn't sell Oxycontin, did you? No. Okay. No, no, no. no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, 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 I sold a, a drug for secondary stroke prevention. So throughout the eight and a half years I was there, um, stroke, uh, a drug for secondary stroke prevention, osteoarthritis, high blood pressure. There's a um, an ARB, the ARB two that we sold. Um, 
a drug well, for well, Ron John, it's interesting. So, what do you think the so here, um, what in your so I I think I understand the psychology of what occurs in an office when you get a prior authorization. Um, but from your standpoint, from that perspective, um, what's the intent of an insurance company on that prior auth? First question about that. What what was what's your intent from that perspective? I, I'm not asking you to. Maybe you have to speculate a little bit, but what what are they trying to get out of that? Well, I mean, if if it's a, a generic that has not has not worked or it it has shown failure, um, that's probably what you include on a prior off, right? We tried X, we tried Y, we tried Z. Now we we, we need this this branded. Um, the the intent I would surmise, and I guess I would position that as my opinion only, is that. Uh, a generic is going to cost the insurance company a little bit less than it would have branded. Yeah. And, and then, then did you ever have any data on, I mean, that's my uh, interpretation as well. I think that's, that's common. There's nothing groundbreaking about that, but yeah. did you have any sense of how many uh, doctors just would not fill out the prior auth? Like they just wouldn't invest the time in, in it. Like oh, there's there, that there's... stop gap. Is there data on, I mean, I'm sure there is, but did you, do you remember that data? Uh, so I don't, recall any any data in particular but i can just tell you from observations of you know when i was in in that area in that space um you know they would tend to sometimes switch even switch classes so let's say for hypertension angio uh tensin 2 receptor blocker uh you 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 start with a generic you go to another generic that fails like all right well you know what i, I might go to an ace inhibitor instead uh, there's you know, some correlations of, 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 of mechanisms of action there. So I might try an ACE first line. Um, I might, I might go to a calcium channel blocker. So it's, it might be more of jumping from class of products and in the hypertensive space, there's many classes of, of products that you can use. So I, I would say it was, it's more jumping from class to class rather than, all right, this doesn't work. This doesn't work within this class. Let's exhaust every, Angiotensin two receptor blocker before we change right. classes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's. I think that's what. I mean, you know, there's two main things we see in eye care that are prior auth right now are going to be glaucoma medications, and uh, and ocular surface medications, mm -hmm. and those are the ones. And and my suspicion is that, um, you know, unless you have a process built up around your prior authorizations within your practice, and the doctor is not the one doing it, then most doctors are going to prescribe it. They'll get a prior auth and then it just goes by the wayside and patient never gets the medication. And, and, and it did, and then they, they, it becomes, it kind of feeds into uh, just some defeatism that can occur within the practice in terms of that disease state management. But that's, that's a whole other conversation. It's just interesting to me to hear that from another side. Um, and then when you think about the psychology of those practices, when you worked with them, did most of them, have those systems built up in place and so you'd come into the office and you'd explain like like they'd say well look we're getting prior off to death here ron john um and you'd have like different resources to help them I, like well what did that look like well i mean we, we couldn't just like in your case i mean we can't help you mm. write a prior yeah. off i mean that would not right. be that would not be appropriate um however i mean it, it, at certain times if our position changed within that formulary we could say all right you know, this XYZ brand 
is now preferred. So you, you can get to it a lot easier. Uh, so those were things that we really needed to, to and did communicate not only to the doctors at that point, but almost as important or more importantly, the staff who was actually doing the prior off. Um, that was that's that's probably the, the real the real answer is actually talking to the, the nurses or whichever staff is actually doing the prior off. So then did, were you aware when you made that transition from pharma into contact lenses, were you aware of the differences in like insurance regulation like you're talking about right now that was going to be an advantage for you? Did somebody talk to you about that? Or were you just like, this is getting crazy. I got to get out of here and use my skills someplace else. Well, no. So the you know, it, was, it was more of uh a breath of fresh air because it's like, oh my gosh, now I can actually talk about my product. And if the doctor chooses to use it, he or she can use it. It's it's not like, okay, well, I have to jump through five different hoops and I have to overcome those obstacles first. Um, yeah. You know, that that is such a big deal. Um, and from the amount of managed care obstacles that we had to come to this has just been I mean, it, it truly is a breath of fresh air, has been a breath of fresh air. So we're not talking all day about, um, you know, how to get to the product. We're just talking about if if you're going to choose to use this, this is why. And, and right. we can just have those conversations. Right. So then you landed with a, another, another large company, right? So you spent, what, four and a half years with another large company because you just had, so that would have been 2010, you just had your 10th anniversary at Cooper. Yep. So you entered the space someplace else. Um, talk about that opportunity. Well, it was uh, it was in the contact lens space, and uh, it was it, it was a competitor of mine you know, from Cooper Vision, <laughs> and you know I got to learn a lot about the business there. And again, uh, there there's loyalty wherever I go. So it was it was tough to it was tough to move on, but for me, I just I found greater professional opportunities with, with Cooper Vision. And, uh, you know, I, I'd also, you know, I guess I'm not sure if we're going to include this on the podcast or not, but well, you know, if I don't have to edit it, it would be better, but if I yeah. can make a mark in case I do. <laughs> um, so I actually looked at other, other companies in the space and what really drew me to Cooper Vision was, was just plain and simply the culture. Um, you know, I haven't, I've never been a person about, okay, well, is this is this company going to give me more money than this company? Am I going to move for for a raise? Uh, that that has never never been the case. Um, so it was it was the the company itself, the culture, meeting some of the people, and just realizing that yeah, there's there's probably more room to grow here. And uh, I, I wasn't wrong. I wasn't wrong. I, I made that I made that decision. Um, and in, in fact. I was about to. Did you enter in as a sales rep? You entered yes. in Cooper as a sales rep. Mm -hmm. Yep, I yeah. entered, entered and, Cooper as, as a sales rep, and uh, I was at the other company as a sales rep as well. And I, I knew I had to take that step back in order to to move forward again. But you know, as history had proven itself, not only with with pharma, but also in uh, a completely different industry in telecommunications. I mean, I lasted four and a half years in an industry again. At that company, the shelf life was around six months. So I, I was I was confident in myself that um, as long as there's opportunity, I'm 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 willing to go for it. Um, 
I was actually supposed to a little known fact, I was actually supposed to come to Cooper a year earlier. So this, this mm -hmm. wouldn't this would, which would have actually been my 11th anniversary. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I felt like I had more things to prove. And this is, this is just, I guess, maybe a downfall of mine, but I was at the final interview with Cooper a year prior. And, you know, realistically, I, I probably would have had the position. Um, but I just felt that I had more to do at, at, at the other place. Um, mm. Within a year, it's like, okay, that, that didn't quite work out the way I thought. So I sent uh, the, the hiring manager that was I had interviewed with at the time a really quick email. It's kind of a kind of a fun thing because a lot of doctors in the territory said, "Hey, I think uh, Cooper's hiring again. You should you know potentially take a look at this." So I sent him a message and I said it was two words and I still have the email. Said I'm ready, <laughs> and that uh, was it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And again, you know, going along with 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 the culture at Cooper, um, I met with him and he goes, you know. We don't need all these brag books that you bought, Ron John, because I, I took a lot of time to update up my resume and all this stuff. And he goes, you're my guy. Let's just talk about get, getting you on board. And that just really solidified my 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 good suspicions, my um, intuition that, that this really was the place to, you know, at least for me to be at. And I have that. Yeah. The most common questions I get include, what ophthalmological codes or evaluation and management codes should I use? What ICD-10 codes do I need to bill with this CPT code? What CPT codes can be billed together and what can't? And my favorite, how do I manage a patient who has diabetes who comes in for a quote-unquote routine eye exam? These questions really highlight the confusion and uncertainty that serves as a daunting hurdle for providers, makes it more challenging for them to care for their patients and provide those patients with the best opportunity for a lifetime of ocular health and clear vision. That's why we built iCode Education for this specific purpose. Our mission is to provide optometrists with resources to help you understand disease states, revenue cycles, and billing and coding so that you can put that on autopilot and truly care for your patients. Check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. We've developed a premier billing and coding bundle that includes all of our billing and coding resources in one place. We also have a 10% discount code just for listeners We've been partnering with Essilor Exotica. Enter the coupon code EYE and it helps us in three areas. First, -E they use social media campaigns to highlight products that we believe in We'd love to work and with prescribe you. to our check patients. Check out iCodeEducation.com. And they deliver those patients back to our practice. Second, Essilor Luxotica 360 enhances our patient experience through staff training tools that help us simplify and streamline the way we communicate about our products and services. Lastly, but for my practice most importantly, it helps us make good business decisions related to our optical offerings. We will systematically and objectively analyze what our patients are purchasing and what they like and removing products that our patients are not really using or not really drawn to. This, along with additional rebates and immediate savings, helps us continue to deliver high-quality products and services to our patients and keeps our practice resilient. Check out Essilor Exotica 360 for yourself by visiting EssilorLuxotica360.com. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, so I, I didn't prepare you for this next part, but as I'm talking to you, it, it seems to me that it would be a, it would be a very, uh, I would not be doing this conversation justice if, um, if I didn't ask you for some insight into our profession. So, you know, you, like I said, you've got 
you probably get to see the behaviors differently, like the office behaviors in a different way than I would see them. You know, when I look at, when I look at a practice, I look at um, my office kind of on a granular level, you know, and I, and I see all the little things that have to happen on a day-to-day basis. And because of that, there's often, it's often the case, not just me, but, but other doctors that own their practice or even doctors that are associate doctors in those practices. You just see this kind of, this is what we do. I get a microcosm of what exists. And I have the luxury of, you know, working with a hundred other offices around Nebraska and South Dakota, and then um, working with offices beyond that, um, you know, in, in pockets across the country as they, as they ask me to come evaluate what's going on for them. But I still just see a microcosm, right? I, I see that through the lens of my experience, through being the doctor, through owning the practice, uh, through having experiences in all these other practices. But you sort of have this insight and this very high level insight into what occurs on a macro level in a way that I don't think most of us really think about. Uh, and so what kind of things do you think occur in a practice or, or maybe trends that you see from contact lenses on, on a bigger scale where you say, you know, Chris, you're, you're missing, like when you say like, you could say, use my practice if you know the data, but, but like I see optometrists missing this or missing that. And, and it doesn't mean like it's an individual. I know you work with the individual offices, but kind of at, at a greater, higher level, what should we be thinking about that you don't think we are thinking about? Well, one one basic thing comes to mind, and I'm actually fairly passionate about this. I've been talking about this quite a bit during my uh, my presentations. But um, so a quick story on the reason why first. So I was working with a, a very large practice, and um, they approached me and said, "Yeah, I'm not sure we're going to be using Cooper as our first choice." I'm like, "Well, why, why is that? You've been doing great with us, and you're you're a great customer." And I'm like, "Well, you, you just..." you just aren't profitable anymore. I'm like, hmm, you know, part of my job is to make sure that you're, you're very profitable. So, so my, my knee jerk reaction was like, oh, okay. Are we doing something wrong? So it took to ask more questions, uh, but it turns out that the retail prices from that particular office hadn't changed in three to four years. So as cost of goods fluctuate, and at that point, this particular office had had taken part in this really aggressive promotion and, and had a, adjusted their retails accordingly for that period of time. So that gets to this point where you use the same retails and it's not the same cost of goods anymore. Your margin is, is not going to remain the same. Uh, so it was really having a gentle discussion with that office and, you know, you might want to check your retails. This is what is, this is what, uh, um, market, market price, market value is going for, for, for these particular lenses. So at the end of the day, the, the, the call to action there is at least with the contact lens portion of your business, check the retails and update them, you know, ideally every three months, um, mm. you know, as, 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 as I bring that up, uh, to offices like, oh yeah, we, we, we try to do it once a year. So I'm like, I try to bargain with them a little bit like, all right, if you're doing it once a year, that's great, but at least strive for twice a year. Just, just give it a little bit more because there, sometimes there is that fluctuation and, you know, I want you to be profitable. I want you to be successful and I want you to see our company as the company that's going to bring that to you. And if, if that is not the case, then I have to look at, again, an introspect on, 
how I'm doing my job. But at the same time, I also take into consideration that contact lenses for you or any other you know, optometry office for that matter might be what, maybe 10, 15% of the business. And well, using the 80, 20 rule, you, you're probably going to be looking at the 85% business, right. Uh, right. 85% balance of the business, a little bit more holistic than that portion. But when it gets to that portion, if you are getting more on a micro level, make sure that's taken care of. Yeah. The, um, the, the way that those prices fluctuate so much, um, is like online, I think f makes doctors feel like, well, I, and you tell me, I mean, one of the things, so I agree with you. I think we should be analyzing those on a very regular basis. If, if you can't do it with your technology in real time, then you should consider doing it on, on some scheduled planned regular basis. And, um, because, because the reality is, is, um, We'll, we'll use this website company that's selling contact lenses online is competing. They don't even, they're not really looking at us. Like they're not looking at my prices, but they have bots that are going out and they're scouring. No, I have no illusions that this is going on. The, the they're scouring the lowest price. If they want to be the lowest price, they're going to be the lowest price. And they're going to look at all those other big companies with, and find the, that lowest price so that they can project their lowest price. And some of them, as we know, are also buying advertising so or they're prohibiting advertising on other, other uh, sites so that they become first by hijacking those other sites, advertising, uh, SEO types of things. I mean, that's, that's public knowledge. Everybody knows that's going on. And, and, and what a disadvantage we're at. What a disadvantage we're at to um, to like being to providing what our patients need, and also having the perspective that we're not just less expensive or more expensive, but we're giving them the value of of something else. And if we never analyze that, it's going to be hard for us to know, like you're saying, you know, where we're at in the marketplace. Uh, but I don't think it has to be overwhelming. The other thing that I you I know, thought about, uh, yeah, go ahead, no, please go ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you use the word disadvantage. Um, I mean, that kind of struck me when you use that word because I actually feel like you've got a great opportunity. So everyone who's you know who ends up going online or whatever the case is to to buy contact lenses or that's who you're measuring against, um, you have the distinct opportunity of having the patient in your chair. That online entity does not have that luxury. You have the privilege of having the patient in the chair. Um, how your office handles that and maximizes that, that's, that's, up, that's really up to the practice. Um, if we're not able to capitalize on, on the entire annual supply, or, you know, as an example, um, okay, well, maybe we need to tweak our communication up. Um, but I, I truly see that as, yes, there, there's some noise in the background, but hey, I've got this opportunity right in front of me. I have a patient, and let's go back to thinking how people think. I've chosen Dr. Chris's, Dr. Chris Wolf's practice for my choice in eye care. I trust he's going to give a great exam. I trust the office. You have that built in sitting right in front of you. And how you handle that after the exam that's the, that's that that's really the, the onus is on you yeah
I mean, and, I mean not I to think, be that sharp, but I mean, no, that, that's truly no, no, it's true. No, it's absolutely true. And it, it's, it's an us problem. And I think, I think the, the guilt that might, might come with, well, you know, I, I, I don't want to offer patients X, Y, or Z, or I don't want to, I don't want to be, uh, you know, I want them to be able to go, I, I hear this sometimes I want to be able to, them be able to go wherever they want to. And I'm this, like, do you think Amazon or any of these other companies like give a thought about if a patient wants to go out the door and, and find another product that at one of their competitors, like they don't care at all. Like they, they don't care what, if that patient or that person, that customer thinks that they're, um, I mean, I know we're not Amazon. My point is, is that, that we find ourselves in this very unique place of not wanting to, to look at what you had just described is the patient is in our chair. They already trust you. Uh, we're not taking advantage of that. They want to be there and right. we want to be convenient for them. And we want to, and we have very good cost-effective options for them that has a, that have a high value. Why would we ever like uh, say, well, you could just like, whatever you find, I don't whatever, you, you know, or like not really embrace that. No other company would do that. You know, the big, right. the big retailers online for contact lenses, the big retailers period online are not thinking, oh, well, we might be a little bit more expensive, but you should go to, uh, you should go check our price or we're the, we're the same price. Go check it. Walmart, go check it. They don't do that. You know that you are their customer, and and they're you know you're their customer until you don't come back anymore. But I think it's just interesting, and I'm not, we're not retail. I mean, we're there is that blend of we're providing you know medical eye care services, and we're selling goods and products, and we're prescribing lenses or prescribing medications. I mean, that's a very fine balance, and it is not simple. But um, you know, that's but, a, that's a really good point because one of the other things is kind of going back in conversation a little bit. But one of the things I I really I noticed. Uh, you know, getting into eye care is that you've got two distinct environments. You've got the medical environment that you're, as a doctor, you're uh, seeing the patient in the chair, right? Whether it's eye health or just, you know, refraction, whatever the case is, there's a medical environment. You're coming out of that into a retail environment, looking at costs of contact lenses, you're looking at uh, costs of, uh, glasses and you know frames etc so there there's a retail side to it and i think that the uh that that transition is important into the aforementioned what we talked about but but yeah that's a that's a great that's a great uh point and realization about the about the practice so ron john when, when i asked you to come on i i told you i would i'd kind of keep everything in the confines of a certain amount of time yeah. And you've been more than generous with that time. But if I were going to ask you one last question, uh, and I only know this about Ron John because I've I've sat in this space. But if <laughs> if you had the pleasure right now of sitting on your couch uh, with all of the bass traps in your living room and uh, the perfect acoustics going on right now, yeah. what is the what is the high fidelity album that you would want to listen to right now? Ooh, probably Fleetwood Mac Dreams. Ooh, that song. One. So I, I think I forget what album it's on. Um, I, I have it, but that that album is just amazing, and the the recording has been upscaled into this brilliant uh, DSD version of uh, of uh, I guess hi fi resolution, and it's it's just a, a dream to listen to. So that's oh. that's my. I think the album's Rumors actually. 
Yeah. Well, there you go again, Ron John. Your crystal vision. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> you know I've, I've really enjoyed this. And, you know, I just, uh, you know, if the purpose is to understand, you know, how Ron John ticks a little bit more and how, how I've gotten to as far as I have, you know, in, in my career, you know, there's, uh, you know, I've never taken anything for, for granted. Um, you know, we could have probably a whole nother podcast on experiences with that, but, um, I, I make, I make someone smile purposely every day, someone that I don't know, or, or, or I don't see real often. Um, you know, whether I'm in the grocery line or at the airport, you make someone smile. I, I actually feel it's infectious and it makes me feel good. It makes them feel good. And if we want to talk about the journey and, you know, spending 10 years of Cooper vision, that's actually a, a, a little spark of what I personally do every day. And if that doesn't happen, it actually registers like, Oh, you know, I, that did not happen for me today. I didn't, I didn't make someone smile. Uh, then my quota increases, increases to two for that next day. <laughs> and I try extra hard. And that's, I mean, my, my, my approach is, is always, I am who I am. And if I can make you happy just by even being in front of you for a couple minutes, again, the grocery line, a couple minutes or spending, you know, 50 minutes with you on the phone, Dr. Wolf, that makes my day. And I, I think Ron people John, do kind of see that. That's awesome. That's awesome. What a way to live. I think those are great uh, perspectives and reminders for us is at the very simplest level, right? You've improved somebody else's day for a little bit, enough to get a smile. Thanks for doing this. I think you got tons of smiles or you'll get tons of smiles once this is aired. I appreciate your time. Uh, I hope we'll have you back in the future. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome.